Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner. I'll be your host. I am the author of Hardcore Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, Letters to a Dead Friend About Zen, Zen Wrapped in Karma, Dipped in Chocolate, and many other fine books about Zen Buddhism. This podcast is supported by your kind donations, and if you'd like to donate, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main ways of making a living, and I thank you for your support. All right, today's episode is going to be the first part in a series about a fascicle or essay by Dogen, which appears in book four of the Nishijima Cross translation of Shobogenzo, and it's called Yuibutsu Yobutsu, which Nishijima and Cross translated as Buddhas Alone Together with Buddhas. The version translated by Tanahashi et al. is titled... Uh, Let's see, only a Buddha and a Buddha. This is because there are no true plurals in Japanese. So it could be singular, it could be plural. So Nishijima Roshi made it plural, and Tanahashi and friends made it singular. Um, You can do either one. So this essay has a little colophon, which is a, a thingy at the back of it, at the very end of it, that says the following. This was copied under the southern eaves of the guest quarters of Eiheiji Temple on Kichijozan Mountain in Shibi Manor in the Yoshida district of Eshu, which uh, corresponds to modern-day Fukui Prefecture. At the end of the last month in the spring of the 11th year of Koan, and the 11th year of Koan means the year 1288, which is 35 years after Master Dogen's death. Uh, We don't know when Dogen actually wrote the thing. And it's quite an interesting little essay, I think, and one of my favorites. It's probably unfinished. It's probably not in the form that he would have published it. And publish is kind of a funny word when you're talking about Dogen, because publish, in his case, meant, uh, you know, it might be seen by 10 or maybe 20 people. I I once asked a Buddhist scholar how many people he thought read Dogen's work while Dogen was alive. I said, do you think it was 50? And he thinks, he said he thought it was a lot fewer than that. So, I don't know how many people actually read this, but it probably wasn't considered to be complete by him. But maybe that's why I like it so much, because it has a a rather unfinished quality, and it's sort of like Dogen talking to himself. So what I've done with this essay is I've done a paraphrase of it in the style of the paraphrases I made for my books. Uh, What were they called? Uh, Don't Be a Jerk, and what was the other one? Uh, It Came From Beyond Zen, that's what it was called. And I did this with uh, another essay before on this podcast, so I'm going to continue, well, we'll see how much I continue after this, but I'm, I'm continuing along to do some of these. And initially I had prepared this Uh, what do you call paraphrase for use on my recent European tour. I went out in September of 2021 to France, Germany, and Finland. And I was going to use this, but at the time that I left for the trip, I didn't think my paraphrase was quite good enough. I'm still not sure if it's quite good enough, but I'm going to read it to you. And this first episode is just going to be me reading it to you. And then in subsequent episodes, further episodes, uh, I'll talk about various lines and things. So let's get started and read the darn thing, okay? Here we go. 
So for now, I'm just going to leave the title the way Nishijima Roshi rendered it as Buddhas Alone Together with Buddhas. Maybe I can think of a better title later, but let's just read the thing. A person can't know the Buddha Dharma. Since olden times, no person has realized the Buddha Dharma. No one has ever understood the Buddha Dharma through intellectual study or through some kind of inborn wisdom. It is realized only by Buddha along with Buddha. As it says in the Lotus Sutra, Buddhas alone, together with Buddhas, are perfectly able to realize it. When you realize Buddha Dharma, you don't think, hey, this is realization, exactly as I expected. No matter what you might have imagined realization would be like, actual realization is nothing like what you imagined. So it's not very useful to imagine what realization will be like and set your sights on attaining that imaginary thing. When you've attained realization, you don't know why you're now in a state of realization. That's an important point. Having thoughts about what realization will be like doesn't help you attain realization. Even so, the fact that realization is nothing like you imagine it will be doesn't mean it's bad to have thoughts about what realization might be like. It doesn't even mean that the thoughts you had before realization were without power. The thinking you had before realization was itself an aspect of realization. It's just that you were directing it the wrong way around. And you thought that such thinking was useless. Whenever you feel useless, know this. It's just because you're afraid of being small rather than trying to understand what you are at this very moment and just being exactly as you are. If realization came about through the power of thoughts we had before realization, that kind of realization would be unreliable. Realization comes about through the power of realization alone. It far transcends the time before realization and does not rely upon what is prior to realization. Remember, there is no delusion. And remember, there is no realization. When the supreme state of Bodhi is a person, the supreme state is called a Buddha. When a Buddha is in the supreme state of Bodhi, that is called the supreme state of Bodhi. There is a specific quality of the moment of the supreme state of Bodhi. Failing to recognize that quality is foolish. That quality is that it is a moment without anything extra. When I say it is without anything extra, I don't mean that it's like trying to force yourself to be without an aim and free of attachments, nor does it mean having no aim at all. Actually, without aiming for it, and whether you have attachments or not, this purity of having nothing extra still exists. It's like when you meet a person. You create an image of her or him. Or when you see a flower or the moon, you add a little something extra to them in your mind. Even when we try to be something other than what we actually are, we can't do it. It's just like the way that springtime is only springtime, and autumn is just the beauty and ugliness that is autumn. Even if we wanted to take springtime or autumn into ourselves, we couldn't do it. They are beyond us. They are not piled up upon us, nor are they the thoughts we have right now. This means that neither the physical elements nor the five skandhas are ourselves, nor are they anyone else. 
Thus, when the colors of the mind are excited by the sight of the moon or a flower, we should not think of these colors as ourself, and yet we think of them as ourself. When we think of that which is not ourself as ourself, it's not a big problem. But when we see that there's nothing to want and nothing to reject, then we are able to act naturally in accordance with our original face. An ancient Buddhist master said, The entire universe is the Dharma body of the true self, but don't let the Dharma body get in your way. If the Dharma body gets in your way, you won't be able to move freely. There should be a way to free the body. How can people free the body? If you fail to free the body, you will lose the life of the Dharma body and sink into the sea of suffering for a long time. Someone might ask you, what should we do if we want to let the Dharma body live and not sink into the sea of suffering? The best answer is, the whole earth is the Dharma body of the true self. But even if you can say the whole earth is the Dharma body of the true self, the reality of this moment cannot be expressed. Furthermore, when something cannot be said, it may be best not to say it. An ancient master once expressed this truth without using any words. Wordlessly, he said, In death there is living, in living there is death. Death is always death, living is always living. No one can make this so. The Dharma is this way, no matter what we might desire. Therefore, when Buddha turns the wheel of Dharma, this is how it is expressed. In the Lotus Sutra, it says that a Buddha appears in whatever form is needed in order to save living beings. This is what is called the wisdom of the instantaneous and eternal. When we say that Buddha appears in the world to save living beings, that doesn't mean that the Buddha appeared in the world and then started saving living beings. There is no difference between what Buddha does, saving living beings, and what a Buddha is. It's because of the action of saving living beings that the infinite Dharma body takes on the appearance of a Buddha who saves living beings. The action of saving living beings is more fundamental than the physical appearance of a Buddha. From the time of their awakening until the time they attain nirvana, Buddhas are the living manifestation of this principle. Even if they never say a word about the Dharma, the teachings are shared freely with all. An ancient Buddhist master said, The entire earth is a real and true human body. The entire earth is a gate of liberation. The entire earth is one eye of Vairochana, the sun Buddha, who symbolizes eternal light. The entire earth is the Dharma body of the true self. The point is that the entire earth is your true body. The body that the ancient master is referring to isn't something fictitious. It is your own true and actual body. Most people are unaware that the entire earth is our true body and reject the idea. But the opinions of people do not matter. If somebody hears that the entire earth is their true body and asks, Why haven't I noticed this before? Just tell them, give me back my words that the entire earth is your true body. Or you might try saying, the entire earth is the true human body. You know it like this. 
The next sentence that the ancient master said is, the entire earth is a gate of liberation. This means there's nothing to get liberated from since you're not fettered or limited in any way. What we call the entire earth is intimate with time, age, mind, and words. It's right in your face, closer even. There is no separation at all. But if we seek to go through a gate of liberation, that would be utterly impossible. If you ask why this is so, then reflect on who is asking that question. Who wants to go through that gate? You are the gate itself. How can you go through it? Next, the ancient master says that the entire earth is one eye of Vairochana. The Buddha is one eye, but don't imagine that it is like a human eye. People have two eyes, but when we talk about an eye in the sense of the one eye of Buddha, there are not two or three. An eye in this case means not only the physical eyeball, but the function of seeing and of perception in general. When you study Buddhism, you'll read about such things as the Buddha eye, the Dharma eye, and the heavenly eye, which is one of the six supernatural powers of a Buddha. When we talk about those, we are not talking about eyeballs in the usual sense. Don't think that these are some kind of super special eyes. Just know that the Buddha eye is one and that the entire earth exists within it. The Bodhisattva of compassion is said to have thousands of eyes. Sometimes we talk of there being limitless eyes, but really there is just one eye which is the entire earth. It's not wrong to say that the Buddha eye is one among many. On the other hand, it's not wrong to know that the state of Buddha is just one eye. The one eye is not limited to just one eye. There are instances where the one eye is thousands of eyes and instances where the one eye is 84,000 eyes. Don't be surprised to hear that the eye is like this. Next, the ancient master says that the entire earth is our dharma body. All of us living things want to know ourselves, but those with eyes to see themselves are few. Only Buddhas know this. Those outside the way just screw around, identifying themselves with what does not exist. What Buddhas call themselves is the entire earth. But in the end, whether we know ourselves or don't know ourselves, there is no entire earth that is anything other than ourself. If you don't get this, it's best to rely on the established words of the ancient masters. A long time ago, a monk asked his master, When a million things come at me all at once, what should I do? His master said, Don't try to control them. This means that we should let whatever is going to come at us come. In any case, don't get mixed up in them. This is the swift-moving Buddha Dharma of this moment. It has nothing to do with circumstances. I'm not saying this to criticize or scold you. I'm just telling you the truth about how things are. Even if you try to control circumstances, it can't be done. An ancient Buddha said, Mountains, rivers, and the great earth are born together with human beings. The Buddhas of the past, present, and future practice together with human beings. 
If we look at mountains, rivers, and the great earth at the moment that someone is being born, we don't see this human being appear out of nowhere like a brand new thing on top of mountains, rivers, and the great earth that were already there. And this saying means even more than just that. How should you understand this saying? Even if you don't understand it, you shouldn't just toss it aside. You really ought to look into this matter. These are words that were spoken by someone who knows the truth of things. We should pay attention. If we listen to these words carefully, maybe we can understand them. Here's a way to understand these words. Who knows just what it is to have been born? Who has investigated life and birth from the point of view of one human being and figured it all out from beginning to end? We don't know the end or the beginning, and yet it appears that we have been born. In the same way, we don't know all there is to know about mountains, rivers, and the great earth. Yet here they are. They seem to be alive, just like we are. You might complain that you can't see the connection between mountains, rivers, and the great earth, and life or birth. But instead of complaining, try looking at mountains, rivers, and the great earth in the light of the way they're being described here, as exactly the same as being born and being alive. There is no separation at all. I'll say it again. The Buddhas of past, present, and future have already accomplished the truth and perfected realization. So how are we to understand that this state of Buddha is the same as us? Start by understanding the action of Buddha. The action of Buddha includes the whole earth and all living things, which means that our bodies and our minds are included within their action. Any action that doesn't include everything isn't the action of Buddha. Therefore, from the moment of Buddha's establishment of mind right up until the attainment of realization, Buddha's practice and realization includes all living beings and the entire earth. Remember that at the moment of his great awakening, the Buddha said, I and the great earth and all beings simultaneously achieve the way. You might doubt this. It might seem like this sort of thing is forever unknowable. I understand your doubts, but you shouldn't try to figure out if other people experience this state of oneness. The boundary between self and other is an illusion. This is a teaching that you should try to understand. We establish and practice the Buddha way together with Buddha. Our own body and our own mind is part of the Buddha. It hasn't somehow leaked away. They say that to doubt this is to disparage the Buddhas of the past, present, and future. When we look quietly at ourselves, we can see the truth that our own body and mind has been practicing in the same manner as the Buddhas of past, present, and future. We can see the truth that we have established the very same mind that they also established. When we reflect upon the past and future of this body and mind, we can say for certain that I am not myself and I am not anybody else. In that case, we know that we are not some fixed thing set apart from the rest of the universe. How, then, could we ourselves be separate from past, present, and future? All such thoughts do not belong to us. 
When the truth is being practiced by the original mind of the Buddhas of past, present, and future, how could anything possibly get in the way of this very moment? Whether you know the truth or not, it doesn't affect the truth at all. An ancient person said, When all of our illusions come crashing down, nothing really changes. Everything the Buddhas have told us is true. Mountains, rivers, and the great earth are nothing but the revealed body of the Dharma king. People today should try to understand this ancient saying. Whatever we encounter in life is the revealed body of the Dharma king. Even the illusions we have are also the revealed body of the Dharma king. This ancient person understood this. It's like how we can say that mountains are upon the earth, or we can say that earth is the basis upon which mountains exist. When we understand this, we can see that our unenlightened mind does not obstruct enlightenment. The understanding we have now does not destroy our past misunderstanding, and the misunderstanding we had in the past does not return and destroy the understanding we have now. They are like spring and autumn, never getting in each other's way. The reason we have not understood spring and autumn is this. Even though spring and autumn have been shouting their truth at us, that truth has not entered our ears. When we are not receptive, we cannot hear their voices no matter how loudly they shout. We will understand when their voices finally enter our ears and samadhi becomes apparent. Still, we shouldn't think that understanding is small while misunderstanding is great. Whatever we may think we are, what we really are is far beyond that. Real knowing can't be known as an object by a self who is the subject. No matter what we might think, the Dharma king is exactly what he is. As for the meaning of the phrase, the body of the Dharma king, the I is just like the body, and the body is just like the mind. Mind and body, without the slightest separation, are totally revealed. In the bright light of understanding, we see that preaching of the Dharma reveals the Dharma king, just as he has been described. In ancient times, there was a saying that only a fish can know the mind of fish, and only a bird can follow the tracks that other birds leave in the sky. Not many people understand what this really means. Some people think it just means that human beings don't know the minds of birds or fish. They don't understand the deeper implications of this old saying. Here's what it means. It means that fish together with fish always know each other's minds. Fish are never ignorant of each other's minds the way we human beings are. When they swim upstream to spawn, they all know what's going on with each other. They move as one through the rocks and against the current because their minds are one. Only fish can partake in this one mind of fish. When birds fly through the air, they leave behind traces that can be perceived by other birds, just like horses leave tracks that we can see in the mud. We walking creatures can't see these tracks of birds. We don't even imagine they exist but birds can perceive them clearly. They know which birds have flown where and how many, just like a good tracker can tell how many buffalo have gone down a path and when. The same principle applies to Buddhas as well. 
They know how many ages other Buddhas have spent in practice. They can see large Buddhas and small ones, even when no one else realizes these people are Buddhas. There's plenty of stuff that those who are not Buddhas don't know at all. You might ask, how come I don't know it? It's because only those with the eye of Buddha can see such things. Buddhas see the traces of other Buddhas just like birds see the traces of other birds. If we are able to see these traces ourselves, it's because we are in the presence of Buddhas. Then we might be able to compare the footprints they leave behind. If you don't understand this, then try tracing the paths left behind by Buddhas. If we can do that, we might be able to see the footprints we ourselves have left behind. Realizing the tracks of Buddhas and the tracks of ourselves is called the Buddha Dharma. And that's where it ends. That's the end of the piece, and I hope you liked it. I will talk about it on subsequent episodes, maybe take it part line by line or, you know, whatever. I'll just find lines that are good and talk about them, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. Anyway, that's the uh, the essay by Dogen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is where you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main ways of making a living, and I really appreciate your support, but this is offered for free, so you don't have to donate if you don't want to. Anyway, we will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.